and welcome to today's show, Strategic Insights Radio, brought to you by Sterling Rose Consulting Corp. Sterling Rose Consulting Corp. is a full-service business consulting firm that provides business plan creation and review, marketing plans, website design and branding, marketing implementations, process automation, accounting, custom CRM design and implementation, and business technology strategy consulting and implementation. Bottom line is we help companies and both profit and not-for-profit organizations grow and be successful. The host of today's show is me, Dave Wilkins. I am the Chief Operating Officer of Sterling Rose Consulting, and we have a returning guest today. It's a continuation of, a, of our show from two weeks ago, Michael Horowitz from the CBA Group. And just a quick re- refresh, uh, Michael is the manager of the Georgia division of the CBA Group, and the CBA Group has been helping business owners uh, buy and sell businesses for over 17 years. The CBA Group is a group of business brokers that has over 175 years of business experience. And Michael's experience includes senior management roles at Fortune 500 companies, uh, leadership positions in venture capital-backed high-tech startups, uh, he's also had his own business where he was the owner of a, uh, a bicycle shop, and he is a resident of the Alpharetta area, which is on the north side of Atlanta. Now, rather than try to recap last week or the, the show from two weeks ago, which was a really great show that on, on the whole fundamentals of business brokers, I would suggest going back and find that podcast and review that because the, there's a lot of great information and it, we couldn't do justice in kind of summarizing it at this point. So with that, I would say let's just kind of jump in. Uh, Michael, it's great to have you back. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks again. Good, good. Now let's let's get started with the... One of the questions that I'm sure a lot of people, including myself, has have, have thought about at different times when thinking about a business is the pros and cons of buying an existing business versus starting a business from scratch. Okay. And I think it comes down to how, how risk-averse are you? Um, how much do you um, have full confidence in yourself that if you're going to build a business, it's from the ground up? And so nothing is there other than a plan in your head that you eventually put on paper and go looking for money and space and employees and equipment and fixtures and accountants and lawyers and all of those things that are required to build a business. Um, If you choose to buy a business, many of those assets are already in place. So there's already a staff. There's probably already a physical building, an office, fixtures, um, and a customer base that's already existing. Um, Those aren't guaranteed success factors, but they certainly can help in the decision-making process. And let's say all things are equal, that it's just as much to build a business as it is to buy an existing business. Mm -hmm. Now, how much risk are you willing to, to put forth? Of course, there's also this scenario of buying into And by that, I mean like a franchise scenario where um, you're going to give money to a franchisor who's already got much of the methods and procedures and and marketing and all those other things in place. Um, Another way to mitigate that risk 
but again, I think the, uh, the, the fundamental comes down to whether it's going to be a success or not is dependent on the owner. Oh, in, which is always the case, whether, yep. yeah, however it goes. But you know what? One of the interesting things that you do bring up when it comes to the, uh, the, uh, the franchise is that and I've heard this and I've, I've seen ex- examples of it, that individuals who are really true entrepreneurs tend not to do very well as franchisees. Yeah, I think that's the nature of the entrepreneur um, who is uh, generally um, someone who wants to do things his way. Right. And if there's somebody telling him there's another way to do it, good, bad, or indifferent, you know, there's a natural resistance built in. Mm -hmm. And that's also part of the the kind of like self-due diligence you're going to do in a build-buy franchise scenario is what is my appetite? for taking on somebody else's warts. What's my appetite for having um, somebody oversee what I'm doing and I pay them a royalty for the privilege of doing that Mm -hmm. versus my very own business that's mine to do with what I will. And so there needs to be some reflection. And, you know, we get that when people are coming to us and say, I want to buy this kind of business. Um, My passion lies there. And, um, you know, as we start to kind of talk to potential buyers, um, often they'll end up buying something very, very different um, because that's really where their passion lies. So it's it's an interesting exercise, and some of it is dependent on self-reflection. Sure, and I know we run into the same things when we're talking to clients that are looking to, well, you know, they've, they've got an idea for a business, and, you know, we need to put together the uh, financial projections, feasibility studies, business plans, and so forth. And a lot of times in those early discussions, uh, they've got their idea, they're headed one direction. And as we talk about it, uh, a lot of times there's changes. And yes. they change their, their, their ideas morph into something a little different they hadn't, uh, hadn't considered than we, when we throw out different ideas or questions about why they're thinking about doing it that particular way. Yep. Yeah, good. How can a business broker help me determine if this is a good business to buy? Or is that really beyond the scope of what a business broker can really provide? No, not at all. It's a, it's a very reasonable question. Um, so we can, uh, we can be transaction brokers, which means we represent both sides in the transaction, the seller and the buyer. Mm-hmm. Um, or we can be seller brokers, buyer brokers. Um, I, anyway, we're, we're representing the deal, and does the deal make sense for both parties? Now, should I buy this business or not? Um, we will have done valuation exercises and determined, based on market comparables, what we believe the um, value of the business is. Um, if you believe the business has the same value, then go for it. We're also looking at the financials. P&Ls over the last several years, mm-hmm. the balance sheets, and we're going to make comments about them. That being said, our focus is the transaction and the deal. Is it a good deal? Is it a win-win for all the parties involved? There are other trusted advisors that we would absolutely suggest you chat with. Your accountant, um, because there are tax implications. I'm not going to advise you on any of the tax, the corporate structure, any of those things. Um, there are transaction attorneys who get involved, 
and um, you know attorneys are going to point out your risks. Right. There's the risk of you doing these things, and they're going to you know scare the pants off you and make you want to walk away. And then right. as a business broker, we come come back, come back to the table. Yeah. It's yeah. Not all but that's that. their job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, you know, and and it's an important it's an important role. Mm-hmm. So we are one of the trusted advisors that a business owner or a business buyer can look to for that kind of advice. Um, if, as a business owner, your strategic advisors over the years have been friends and family, and you've got a general attorney and a CPA who's um, filed your taxes but hasn't done a whole lot of um, kind of consulting with you on the business, our suggestion is to find those um, trusted advisors who have the experience and that um, can work as part of a team to make sure that the deal is, is sound. Okay. Now, what besides besides those real tangibles and objective, you know, the financials and so forth that we're talking about, what are some of the more of the intangible aspects if I'm looking to buy a business that I need to be considering? Well, you know, I think that it, uh, <clears throat> especially if it's a small business, the reality is is you're going to need to be an owner-operator, mm-hmm. and you're going to be an ever-present owner-operator. Yeah. So passive, passive investments are not, a, uh, not an you option. You know, there are a few where you can be an absentee owner. Um, you know, if it's Main Street businesses, car washes maybe, I mean, there's a short list of those types of businesses. Um, but for the most part, if it's a small business, a Main Street business, and, you know, it, it was my experience with the bicycle shop, um, it was open seven days a week. For the most part, I was there seven days a week, maybe not all the operating hours. And it took a while for us to get to where uh, the employees stabilize and then could kind of run the business in my absence, mm-hmm. which is absolutely something you want to get to. Um, but can you see yourself being there day in and day out and taking it home with you and being on the Internet with, the you know, in your lap while you're watching TV and trying to spend time with the family. And then the other part of it is, is does it does it tickle your fancy at some point? If it's just, um, just a business that you think you can make money at because the guy's been making money at it, think twice. Um, if you're not at least marginally passionate <laughs> about the business. I don't know how you can be marginally passionate. Something. <laughs> Then uh, you know, think twice because it's mm-hmm. a, it's a significant decision. You're making not only a financial investment, but you're making a heck of a um, a lifestyle investment. You're making a um, you know a personal investment. This is going to be your sweat equity. This is going to be your life um, for some foreseeable period. So that w- that would be my suggestion. Yeah, you, you just can't assume that okay i just i'm gonna throw x number of dollars at it and come in and everything's gonna be hunky-dory and uh you know everything's in place and that just everything runs smoothly and i don't have to do much no that's right not if you're going to be a a a private owner um you know there are scenarios where as you get um to larger businesses small medium medium businesses where um People are coming in, and they're not looking to be owner-operators. They're looking to be investors. Mm-hmm. Very different value proposition. What they're looking at is very different um, numbers. They want to know how fast they're going to get their money back. Right. Um, but if you And are, how much they're going to make with yes, that money they're investing. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, but, you know, that's a different, different scenario and a different kettle of fish. Yeah. Now, 
you know, we hear a lot about these, uh, these small tech companies that uh, they get started and they grow uh, a bit, and then, you know, they get this huge buyout from some, you know, larger competitor or other, other, you know, other tech companies that are looking to expand into a new market and all that. Uh, you know, how do those deals happen, and 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 do you get involved in those at all? Um, <clears throat> They happen very differently than the kind of deals that we typically do. Um, and I've been with some high-tech startups, venture-backed. Uh-huh. And, you know, uh, uh, most times you ask the founder, what's your exit strategy? And they say, I want to sell. I want to sell to somebody that's going to come and snap me up. And I'm going to sell for um, uh, a whole big multiple before I even put a product in the market. And, you know, uh, rational business people look at that and go, what are you talking about? But the fact of the matter is, is in high tech, it's a very different value proposition. Um, You're betting on the chances. Now, for every startup that we hear of that's hit it and the guy walks away a multimillionaire, there are thousands who go nowhere. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's a um, it's a high risk, high return uh, venture and venture capitalists angel investors um, equity investors they look at them differently they know they're not going to hit on as many as they would if it were a more traditional business they're running a numbers game and saying okay if one out of eight or if one out of ten hits it I've covered the other eight we won't talk about yeah it, it, interestingly enough I had a, a conversation earlier in the week with the uh, new president of the uh, at Atlanta Technology Angel uh, Organization. And, yeah, he was sharing those same numbers about, uh, he says, on average, about three or so out of ten fail, uh, and a good portion of the rest, you know, maybe five, six of them, you know, are marginally successful. And you get a couple that are pretty successful, and every once in a while then you hit the unicorn. Um but that's yeah. It's yeah. You exactly. can make some money as an angel investor, but it's uh, but you have to know what you're doing. Yep. So the businesses that we tend to look at and represent are businesses that have year over year financials. They've mm-hmm. got a product. They've been in market. Um, you know, they've got a profit and loss statement that you can look at and say, okay, this is a going concern, and I can make some predictions based on past performance that I can look at for future performance. So if it's a manufacturer, for example, who's been kicking out a product year over year and they've kept their expenses in line and the debt's low, that's a good-looking business. That's something you can count on. And, in fact, manufacturers have a higher multiple than many other types of businesses because they've got a demonstrable year-over-year product that sells. Um, And so often a buyer that's looking for a business is somebody who's looking for – a way to replace possibly his income. He's had his corporate run, mm-hmm. and now it's time to see, okay, I've been making 150 at the corporation. Let me look for a business that's shedding off 150000 in cash. Now, what do I have to pay for that? And if the business has been shedding off 150000 in cash over the past several years, he can generally count on the fact that it's going to continue to do that um, with him at the helm. Um, the high-tech proposition is completely different. That's a flyer. That's well, obviously because one of the reasons it's such a dynamic industry, things are changing 
minute by minute, if not second by second. And yeah, you, you, you could have a great idea and great product right yeah. now, and next minute it's obsolete. No, that's exactly right. And you know, it's, what, you, what many buyers are looking for is a tried and true. I want an HVAC company mm-hmm. that's been around for a while, got a fleet of trucks, got an installed base of customers. Um, they know what they're doing. The owner isn't the business, right? It's got management. Um, I want to come in and make this my business. You know, that which, which, which really kind of leads to a whole other set of, of questions to, from, a, from a buyer's perspective, and I, I'm sure from the seller's perspective as well, is you th- as an existing business, to your point, you've got an existing set of customers and you've got an existing employee base that obviously has gotten you to this point where you know it's successful and, and there's there's something there of value to sell and some but something of value that somebody wants to buy the question is how do you get through that transition period well from that point that says okay i'm going to sell to the point where you have the buyer in place in their position, running the business, and hoping to keep everything running along those lines. Because again, you, you know, to your point, you're buying into a established cash flow, and that established cash flow is based upon a set of conditions that are in place. So obviously, you don't want to, uh, you know, uh, shuffle the uh, the deck too badly to mess up that cash flow. So you you. Um you used a, a magic word there. You're hoping to. I had a, a former boss, and, and she would tell me, hope is not a strategy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so what do you do? Um, you know, and, and a lot of that is, ha- have you thought it through? I mean, play the movie in your head and play it realistically. And what does the outcome look to you? You're going to manage towards your perceived outcome. Um, and one of the things you do in, if you're a buyer in the due diligence phase is you find out certain things. For example, if you find out that the business you're looking at, 80% of its revenue is coming from one customer, mm-hmm. rethink it, right? right? If you're a business seller, if you're an owner, and 80% of your business is from one customer, go find some other customers and smooth that out. Um, yeah, diverse, like any any investment, diversification. Yes, and so there's a lot of those. If you are um, a buyer looking at a business and you look at it and you say, wow, they've been winging it all this time. They've got really no policies, no procedures in place. Um, they kind of take it as it comes, and they've done a great job um, responding to opportunity and serendipity. Uh, if you're the kind of guy who is not that kind of entrepreneur, you know, think twice. If you're a seller and you want to put your business on the market, the most important thing you can do is have clean financials. Right. Truly clean financials. The next one is make sure that your methods and procedures and policies and contracts are all documented, that there is a a means of operation that somebody can come in and take a look at and say, okay, this is how they've been doing it in the past. I will continue to do this, this, and this. I think I'll make some changes here, here, and here. Uh, but at least there's a basis. Mm-hmm. A lot of businesses which have been running, you know, running along who don't have that don't sell 
because there's no there may be financial history but there's no history of how they got to where they got right now from the employee perspective all right i'm the seller how do i break it to my employees because especially those employees that are you know really key to to making it work you know gr- yep. assuming great salespeople or a, a great operations manager you know that that just knows how to how it all clicks and has has developed yeah. those processes and procedures. Very situational. I think it depends on the size of the business. And you know, if it's a if it's a little bit larger business, um, still privately held, but you've got a core executive team, you've got um, a, a team of advisors. You probably want to bring at least one or two of them in. It's not unusual, um, but you don't want the rest of the company to know, right? Um, because customers find out, vendors find out. The minute the cat's out of the bag, the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. So you've got to keep that circle of confidants pretty small. Um, and, you know, I've seen a couple of scenarios where my son, for example, works for a Atlanta-based um, tree removal service. He's, mm-hmm. an ar- he's an arborist. And it was a family business that recently got acquired by a major national firm. They brought everybody in to a hotel conference room early on a Monday morning and said, here's what's happening, guys. They flew the uh, executive team of the the acquiring business in. The president spoke to them, other folks, and, you know, to try to just say, here's what life's going to look like going forward. Um, Managing that process, I think, up front is probably key, especially if it's a larger company. Mm -hmm. One of the minor foibles they may have made was, oh, and please, when you step outside in the lobby, there will be somebody there to give you your corporate ID number. That didn't go no, over great. Oh, I'm sorry. That's <laughs> so, just, no. <laughs> so, you know, it, there, there are things that can be done and can be done. Th- a smaller example, um, recently worked with a guy who bought a small tech firm. Uh-huh. And he's here in Atlanta, the purchaser. The tech firm is up in South Carolina. The, the uh, owner of the tech firm didn't want to tell his employees for all of the, uh, all, all of the reasons. And they closed on a Friday. On Monday morning... Um, first thing, the new owner from Atlanta was up there to be introduced. And he already had in his mind what he was going to do with these guys. He knew that they were valuable employees, been with the company for several years. He immediately increased their title and said, you are now the X of of Y, as well as uh, put a couple of kind of incentive programs in place for Mm -hmm. them to stick around. And so when you're in that transition, thinking it through, what it's looked like, it's not only employees, it's customers too. Sure. Right? You want to keep the previous owner with you so that you can make joint customer calls and give everybody the warm and fuzzies uh, so that the transition is as smooth as possible. Because if you think there are gotchas in the acquisition process, um, especially for first time, uh, you know, the integration part of, of a merger or acquisition is just as dicey especially for first-time guy, uh, p- people who've done it. So uh, a lot of upfront thought and uh, put into it, and you're going to have a better outcome. Yeah, basically the bottom line is as a, as a buyer, don't come in like the bull in the china shop and just say, oh, okay, my way, this is how we're going to do it with everything, and, and then expect everything to fall into place. Yeah, that's and a great way to hmm. – Everything will fall, but it's not going to fall into place, I'm sure. No. Good. Now – when it comes to the financing aspect of of, uh, of acquiring a business, um, 
how does the how does how can a business broker help with that? Sure, um, you know there are lots of different ways to realize um, a purchase. The most traditional financing, of course, is a um, a traditional bank loan, and we know lenders. Um, if it's a small business, an SBA loan may be the appropriate way to go. We know people in the community, especially those who are um, not only SBA lenders but tend to specialize in various industries or others, and we can point you in those, uh, those directions with a traditional lender. There are non-traditional lenders, and we have a relationship with those folks too, um, and that's certainly a way to, um, to finance the business. There are even... Now, what's an example of a non-traditional lender? Well, it may be somebody, if the business is ongoing and it's got a, um, a lot of ongoing accounts receivable, uh-huh. you may want to go ahead and get some working capital by a guy who's going to factor it and say, okay, you're the new owner, you, get, you impress him, you, you make him realize this, this business is going to be an ongoing concern with me. Um, I don't have the means to get a traditional bank loan. But can we look at some non-traditional means of financing? Another one, for example, um, is um, you can take the 401K that you've been contributing to Mm -hmm. all these years and use it to finance the business. Um, There's the ROBS process. Yeah. And, um, you know, that may be something to look at. The other thing that's important to note in many Um, of the transactions that we deal with is that there is some component of seller financing. I was was going to ask about that. So what the final deal often looks like is the buyer comes in and he puts down a percent as a down payment. He gets financing from wherever he's going to get it, family and friends, traditional lenders, wherever that money comes from. That's a portion. And then the remaining portion is financed by the seller. And what that looks like is the seller's actually taking a note. And however you structure that, the seller can stay on for a time and realize a portion of the ongoing revenues. Um, it can be an installment loan mm-hmm. that you're paying back to the seller. And that's something that you agree on, term and interest rates. Um, a, a very, very common way of financing part of the business is to look to the seller um, for part of that. And isn't that also beneficial from the buyer's perspective because it keeps the seller to a degree involved? They still have some skin in the game. In other words, the, the, the success, ongoing success of the business will largely drive how, how effectively they and timely they get paid. No, that's exactly right. And, you know, the, the seller is thinking to himself, I don't want to take that kind of risk. What if the guy drives the business into the ground in two months? Right. And then I'm stuck. Yeah, I get the business back, but what kind of shape is it in? Well, maybe he's not talking to the right buyer. That's and, true, yeah. And, you know, so if a seller looks at it a little bit differently, the signal that he's sending to a buyer is, I think this business has legs. I think it's an, a, a perfectly ongoing business, and I'm willing to put up some of my time and money against it to demonstrate that. You're sending a strong signal to that buyer. Um, if you're sending the signal that, I don't want to do that. I just want cash. The buyer is going to possibly go ahead and overlook your opportunity and look for another one. Mm-hmm. There are uh, the state of the state in the market today, and, and, and uh, typically is there are far more buyers than there are businesses for sale. Oh, really? Oh, yes. 
And so, uh, you know, the, the supply-demand equation, um, so, you know, there, it's kind of a seller's market, but you still have to approach it right. Yeah. So you don't want to sh- appear to be over-eager over to sell. No. Um, and, and, and you also don't want to appear absolutely unwilling to budge on any kind of terms. I have a cash figure in mind. I have in m- the back of my head, it's a, a, a piece of paper that I take to the bank and say, let's deposit this. Right. And um, I'm going to buy my, uh, my bass fishing boat with part of those proceeds. Um, not, not the signal you necessarily want to send either. No, no, because you... you Probably better to have a range that you're working in, knowing knowing that you know you've got kind of like a high number, an opt or like your optimal number. Yep. Your your you know I'll take this number, and then there's a bottom line. This is not going below this number. Yep. And you know those are numbers that we can certainly help you with, and mm-hmm. that's one of the things that we do as part of our valuation process. Is we say here's a range that we think your business could potentially be listed for. Here's a high end, which we think will be a stretch. Here's a middle position, and here's a low position. Those also become your negotiating points. Okay. And so, you know, okay, so we'll list a little bit over the midpoint. Um, you list too high, you can bring it down. You right. list too low, you can't bring it up. Right. Um, so that's part of the other, uh, uh, you know, value add that we bring is kind of giving you some brackets to define what you think the opportunity is and what you are and aren't willing to take. Okay. Well, we've got just a couple of minutes. Is there anything that uh, that you want to share that we haven't talked about? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's lots. Yeah, there, there's lots. I, you know, the, uh, the, the one thing we talked about um, more in our first session, and uh, I want to uh, kind of recognize today, is that, you know, we talked today about kind of the, the business whys and don'ts, but mm-hmm. there's a big emotional component to all this. Yes. And, you know, we recognize it. We're sensitive to it. Um, as, and for, for both buyers and sellers, this is a big deal for many people. It's not just a business transaction. And it's to recognize that component, embrace it, and, uh, and uh, you know, look forward to the process, trust the process. Okay, great. Well, Michael, it has been a real pleasure having you back, and I think it was uh, real fascinating, and it's always great to, to learn a lot and be able to share it with our uh, listening audience. And, again, this has been uh, Strategic Insights Radio. And to find out more about Michael Horowitz and the CBA Group, Michael, how can they reach you? Well, best place is our website, www.thecbagroup, Charlie Brown Alpha. And I can be reached directly at 678-427-1163. Great. And to find out more about uh, uh, the CBA group, Michael Horowitz, and Sterling Rose Consulting, you can always contact us at Sterling Rose Consulting at 678-996-1312 or visit sterlingroseconsultingcorp.com. This is Dave Wilkins, and it's been a real pleasure being able to join everybody today. And thank you, and we'll talk next time.